On this episode of Behind the Headlines, we are talking to Emily Lawler and Lauren Gibbons about the explosive report they put out last week on sexism and misogyny in the state capitol. An incredible conversation you are about to experience right now. As I said, these stories that were out last week were incredible and we're digging into them deeper today. Emily and Lauren are here as well as my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you? Good morning, Eric. How are you this fine, nearly May day? I am amazing. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. You know, I like to open a lot of our episodes by sharing a personal anecdote about something from my previous life that becomes relevant later in the conversation. Um, and for this show, I got to tell you, um, it, this show is a little more sobering. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have a personal anecdote other than maybe somewhere down the line as a male, I'm, I may have been part of a pervasive problem in society. But um, Emma, I've had a very sobering but important series of stories last week about rampant sexism and sexual harassment in the political culture of Lansing Capitol building and politics in general. And uh, we had a couple of our staff members who were central to that project um, are with us today. And they, they not only reported it in, in an amazing fashion professionally, and um, but also as women in the Capitol, they've, they've kind of lived it. You know, they're swimming in that, that murky fishbowl uh, of politics. And first I'd like to welcome Emily Waller who, um, has been with M Live for what now five or six years, Emily? Gosh, uh, since twenty fourteen, and I'm bad at math. So yeah, so there's seven, seven years, <laughs> and all all working in the political realm. And Lauren Gibbons, a welcome this morning, Lauren. Thank you. I've yeah. actually been at M Live for five years, so Emily's been a little bit longer. Well, you you guys are a little bit peas in a pod. You know, when our Lansing office was open, there's a caricature of the two of them uh, posted on the wall, and people try to guess who is who in the caricature so uh but uh they've they've been in the environment for quite a while they've seen quite a lot um they're great at their jobs but this one it goes to a different dimension this goes to the greater culture that surrounds politics everybody knows politics is a you know it's like making sausage right it's a, it's a, it can be a really dirty business um a lot of behind the scenes stuff but there's also this it, it's part of the culture is it isn't all happening in the Capitol building. There's there's lobbyists, there's parties, there's glad handing, you know, and, and there's a lot of different pressures or expectations put on the employees who work there. So um, without further ado, I would like to get into the conversation. At first, I encourage all of our listeners to go back and read these, these pieces. Um, Lauren and Emily spent weeks interviewing, I believe it was 40 different women who've worked in the industry or in that environment and over 90% of them said that they've been either subjected to witness, know somebody who's been subjected to sexual harassment. And then there's the greater, uh, there's a greater story about opportunities for women. And, and the, I'm going to ask one of you to start by telling us the metaphor that so perfectly captured uh, this story and how it kicked off the whole series. Um, yeah, so I think you're talking about the, um, we opened talking about the glass ceiling in the Michigan Capitol. Um, so I was interviewing people for uh, maybe two weeks, I think, before I realized uh, this. <laughs> so I can't say that, uh, can't say that I'm, uh, you know, particularly sharp, but um, we were 
talking to women um, sort of about their experiences. I was gauging a lot of people, um, you know, that I've met over the years through politics who, who I really respect their work. Um, a lot of them are in the story, but, um, you know, I was talking to one of my sources and I was like, no, do you view it as there being a glass ceiling in the Capitol? And then I just like, I paused and I said, wait, there's literally a glass ceiling in the <laughs> Capitol. <laughs> Emily, you've stood under it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I walk in under it every day. That's when you walk in on the ground level. It's, it's I mean, it's a glass floor and it's a big, Elijah Myers built the Michigan Capitol. He's a noted Capitol architect. I've actually been to the Capitals. He's built in, in other states as well. Um, but, you know, for him, it was um, an 1800s lighting situation that was both um, pretty efficient <laughs> to get light into the Capitol um, and also pretty... Um, uh, symbolic, that it's a transparent surface um, in the people's house. Um, and so, you know, it's designed as a as a glass floor, but actually the way that we've resituated the Capitol and the way that we walk into the Capitol now um, and the way that we funnel things for security reasons, um, you walk in under a glass ceiling every single day. But Lauren, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit too about what led to the discussions between you and your editors about pursuing this as a story that glass ceiling is became into the headlines <laughs> mm -hmm. in a way. And, and not just for the lack of opportunities, but the way that women are exploited in Lansing politics. So what were some of the things that led up to this story that, that were you know, not only in the headlines, but that got into the, your consciousness as reporters since you wanted to, to follow up on this? So um, I think both Emily and I have kind of circled around this issue for years, um, but recently uh, kind of came to a head because um, in the last couple of years or so, there have been a number of um, a number of single incidents or incidents that involved uh, one specific person. And we really wanted to show that this is not about one specific person. Um, it's not just about who goes public. It's not just about the one bad actor or the couple of bad actors uh, that are in it that are being brought to light by women who are allowed to or, or who feel comfortable uh, coming forward publicly um, in their current positions and um, so so what we tried to do with our reporting is one give women an avenue for um, coming forward even if they weren't comfortable putting their names to that because for many of the reasons that we listed out in our reporting, uh, there are a lot of barriers to women speaking out publicly and a lot of potential career repercussions for doing so. And uh, we also just wanted to really signify that this is not something that is a one-off situation. This is something that a majority of women are experiencing in Lansing. Yeah, as um, uh, one of my sources put it, uh, you know, the latest incident that came out was about TJ Buholz at Vanguard Public Affairs. Um, and early on in my reporting, one of my sources um, said that it's not like he's a unique creep. <laughs> and that was sort of a guiding vision for me as we uh, talk to people about this. Yeah, the, like um, in the past five years, Harvey Weinstein became symbolic or became, you know, obviously the most notable case, but he was representative of a larger pervasive problem in society and business and culture. And you know, the Me Too movement really you know, got wings after, but it, it takes that, that one who makes it visible. 
And the Pujols, can you, for our sake of our listeners who maybe haven't read it, can you just kind of give the Twitter version of what happened, uh, where he worked, and what his interaction was in the in day-to-day capital politics? Yeah. So, so TJ was, or um, perhaps still is. I'm not a hundred percent what the share what the status of his firm is going forward. Um, but um, you know, TJ was a progressive political consultant. He was working on Democratic campaigns. He's worked for candidates you've heard of, um, and then also uh, some more corporate clients. But um, yeah, essentially, he had this office um, of almost exclusively uh, young women, which um, was a standout. Even though that's not terribly uncommon in PR, um, that field tends to attract more women overall. Um, but uh, yeah, the women who worked for him described just basically a toxic work environment overall, and then sort of tinged with um, some pretty pervasive sexual harassment issues. I spoke to a woman who, um, you know, said that he, when she was an intern, he asked her to um, call, address him as daddy, um, that he made a comment about how he had like the the hooters of PR firms or something along those lines. Um, incidents where he just, uh, you know, would encourage people to drink in the office um, and uh, proposition women for threesomes with his wife. Um, And so, you know, just all around a workplace that certainly was outside of uh, so many lines and so many boundaries. Um, And, you know, I, I do think that in some senses, I'm not sure that every, I know that every instance of sexual harassment in capital culture is not that severe. Um, But on the other hand, I know that there are incidents that haven't been reported that are that severe. um, And that's part of what we wanted to get at. You you and Lauren have worked with me long enough to know we've been in meetings and I make a quip here, there. I like to make light of something, but stuff like I can't fathom in an office environment. (laughs) Calling somebody into your office, shutting the door, getting your phone out, showing them a picture of your wife in a bikini and asking if they want to be in a threesome. And then when you kind of get called on it, you say, oh, I didn't realize, you know, I I thought we had a loosey-goosey office culture. It was all the good fun. I mean, I think that that's, that, that talk about pervasive, I think in society in general, women have had the right to vote for a hundred years. And let's like, look at the stats. That's 30 some percent women in the Michigan Capitol building working as, um, representatives or senators, right? It's in the thirties, like 35%, your story pointed out. And in all jobs in Lansing, it's, it's in the mid 40%, 43, 44% of women hold those jobs. And they're 51% of the population. It's been a hundred years since they can vote. And so I think anybody who knows anything about sexism, racism, or anyism is that you, um, rationalize, you rationalize these behaviors that marginalize people. And so why don't you talk, I think this is fascinating because you have been women now seven years and five years working for us anyways. I know you worked in the environment too before you came to us, but what have it been some of your personal experiences, uh, uh, Lauren and Emily, just trying to do your jobs? Um, sure, I guess I can start. Um, I think I was first subjected to an extremely inappropriate comment at the Capitol when I was 22. Um, I've had several instances over the last, you know, many years that I have been working in um, Michigan political journalism. And I know that that is not um, 
it's not out of the ordinary. That's not an anomaly. That's what happens to young women who are starting in Michigan politics. Um, and that's what our reporting uh, showed. Um, but I know that both Emily and myself, you know, have had experiences that left us feeling belittled, left us feeling condescended to. Um, in some cases, uh, people trying to go around us or taking us less seriously because we were young women in politics. And I think that's really unfortunate. And uh, I know that, you know, younger women, even, you know, younger than myself, I'm 29, um, but there's trends, the research is bearing out that since the Me Too movement, um, particularly younger women are more, in, are more open to speaking out about this and more, um, more empowered, I guess, to uh, speak up publicly and to talk about the fact that this is a problem. And when I was younger, um, I was really scared to do that. I didn't really know who to go to. I worked in an all male office. Um, so there was no one around who necessarily knew besides other, um, you know, women, uh, women reporters in the legislature. And so um, when I was younger, I did not necessarily have an avenue to say, hey, this is wrong. And uh, I guess, you know, many years later, um, it, it did feel good to put out this story and to show uh, definitively that this is a problem. And so this is, you know, for all the people who can't speak out, uh, this, this research that we did, the reporting that we did, the sources that we spoke with really helped bring this to, um, really helped bring this to light. Yeah, I would echo what Lauren said. I shared one personal experience of mine and, you know, it's kind of, in some ways I feel like the worst things that I've seen have not been to me directly. I feel like um, there's been a lot of things that aren't really my story to tell, um, which is why I, I wouldn't say them here, um, but, but have made me uncomfortable certainly. But uh, one that is my story to tell is that um, I wear glasses. I've been working at the Capitol since I was um, 19. I did a program through Michigan State University called Capitol News Service. Um, and, you know, similar to what Lauren said, uh, you know, when you're younger, you're vulnerable. It, think of your impression of the world at 19 and what is different, what has changed. Um, certainly a lot for me anyway. But, um, you know, I had a situation where I got a new pair of glasses, which was like, a big deal because I was super new um, in journalism. I was not making a ton of money. <laughs> and um, I wore these glasses to the, the Senate floor that I covered for the first day. And um, a senator made a comment about like, hey, sexy specs. And I was like, uh, not really comfortable with that. And I said something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was sort of like, nah, you know, not, not a nickname for me. Um, and it, it just kept happening. And I don't remember if it was a couple times that day or if it was like over the course of the, the session week. But um, and I, I asked directly, like, could we find a different nickname for me? Like, <laughs> and, um, it just wasn't happening. And I actually ended up like I, I found it so distracting that I retired those glasses, um, wow. which is unfortunate because it's like a medical need. Right. Like I don't sure. wear glasses for fun. Um, and so I had to go back to an older prescription. I squinted trying to read the vote board. Um, and, you know, I think about that and just like the fact that, 
you know, my, my personal experience, it's not like I was, obviously I'm a successful capital reporter. It's not like that damaged me for the rest of my life, but you know, what male colleague of mine has been forced to like put aside a medical need to do their job um, because of sexual harassment, you know, none of them, I would suspect. You know, it's, it's really sobering and, you know, empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And, you know, a person who's grown up as a man, a white man, <laughs> you know, in a middle class and went to college and doesn't ever have to think of those things. I, I've been on, you know, as a reporter, when I was a reporter, I've been in hundreds, if not thousands of situations. I've been called names uh, from hack to, you know, liberal, you know, whatever to profanity. Nobody has ever sexualized me on the job. Nobody's ever objectified me um, just because I walked into a room. They didn't want to see me, but, but I've never had to deal with something that was meant to demean me, put me in my place over gender, you know, right? To create that kind of um, um, negative tension in a power dynamic because, you know, your lace, you're, it's, a power, it's a power thing, isn't it, ultimately? Um, sure. Yeah. And that's what, uh, that's what a lot of, you know, women we spoke with have, have attested to, um, uh, that this is, you know, and this is, uh, we should uh, be pretty clear, you know, this is not just a political problem. Uh, women in a, a pretty much any industry you could think of that was historically male dominated experience, things like this. Um, this is not, unique to one industry. It is not unique to one country or one state. Uh, this is a pervasive issue for women. Um, and it really shows that, you know, getting the right to vote or, you know, making progress in the workplace um, has really not necessarily solved um, in many cases, sort of the sexualization or just the power dynamic. Um, you know, there's still, uh, our reporting showed, uh, still not many women have held leadership positions. Um, we've had two women governors, for example, out of uh, the dozens of governors that our state has had. Um, and both of those have come in, you know, the last couple of decades. And so it's, it, there's, you know, progress has been made. It certainly is not the same as it was in the 1950s or what have you. Um, women are holding these jobs. They are in these spaces, but they're still pushing up against a lot of barriers that men are not facing. And so, um, you know, acknowledging that and acknowledging that dynamic and um, having these open conversations about, uh, you know, how they can be addressed is really important. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. I'm your host, John Heiner. I'm here with my co-host, producer, Eric Culkin. And our guests today are Lauren Gibbons and Emily Lawler, reporters on our statewide political team. They're based in Lansing. I just had a blockbuster series of stories last week on MLive about the rampant sexism and sexual harassment that permeates the political culture in Lansing. Um, and we're talking about that here today. The women you reached out to and to participate in the story or to be interviewed, what kind of reactions were they surprised to hear from you? Um, were they reluctant to talk? You got so many of them to talk, um, or did they have a did they have a feeling that this it's time, like it's really time to to get this out in the open? 
Yeah, I'll take that because um, I actually started working on this about a year ago and it just wasn't time culturally. Um, it was after another high profile incident. Um, you know, I put out a round of calls. I, women I've, you know, I know care about this, um, but didn't feel like they could speak out about it at that time. Um, and I think that, um, you know, a lot has changed culturally. Lansing never had its sort of Me Too reckoning moment, which surprised me um, because I was looking for it then, frankly, when all of the national, um, you know, organizations were having it, when some of our uh, uh, nationally congressional um, members were were under scrutiny. Um, you know, you mentioned the Weinstein. Um, Al Franken. Yeah, Al Franken, um, certainly. And so, you know, Michigan never really had that. And I remember being surprised and I remember like talking to a few people about it um, just conversationally, not not in a reporting capacity and sort of like poking the bear. It just wasn't ready. Um, it wasn't ready a year ago. I think that what's changed this year um, are a, people have been trapped in their houses for a while. I think that people are kind of reassessing what's important to them and what's affected their lives. Um, B, people aren't around their harassers every day. I mean, there are people who I was reaching out to a year ago um, who, when I was calling them during my work hours, their harasser was a desk over. <laughs> so I think that, that it's been right. different that people are working from home. Um, and I think that, yeah, we, we are ready to have this conversation as a society. And I think that there's sort of this, this broader recognition um, going on that, you know, Michigan politics benefits from the, the contributions of women and that, um, you know, we're losing out on some of that because of a culture that really doesn't serve anybody um, well. I mean, you know, in my opinion, this doesn't serve the men in the Capitol well. Um, you know, they get put in awkward positions if if they're bystanders to this. Um, they get put in awkward positions if their their staff are subject to this. Um, and and frankly, you know, it's not just a few bad actors, but but there are a lot of bad actors. Um, and if they treat women this way, you know, you have to wonder how they treat constituents and and how they're really serving people. Excellent point there, Lauren. Um, and, and I do want to yeah, I want to add to that in that a lot of um, a lot of women who spoke to us uh, have had career repercussions because of this. Um, they have left jobs. They have modified their own behavior. They have, I guess, for lack of a better term, sucked it up because they were concerned that they would be, um, that if they were to come forward with, um, in many cases, as Emily said earlier, there was a pretty wide range of seriousness um, to these things, but in many cases, extremely serious, extremely concerning behavior. They were not really able to address that formally because they had seen what happens or they had heard about other situations where people had tried to come forward and the resolution was either not a resolution or, or it was not not something that actually helped. It was something that in some cases made it worse um, for certain people. And so it's, it's, so it's kind of been this behind the scenes of, oh, um, I have heard that this person is not great to work with, or I 
got another job, but I haven't talked about why I left that job because I can't, because I am in a position where I may need a reference from that job later. And so it's the un unspoken codes that, that occur, right? And then it's the, it's the women looking out for each other and sharing information, but it, it never rises to the level where they're ta anyone's taking it seriously or taking action on it. It becomes right. a kind of like this counter, it becomes a counterculture of people protecting themselves. Right. And I will say most of the women that I spoke with, and Emily can say this too, um, people weren't if people, if women who have experienced this are women in the legislatures or the legislature's bubble, um, not just the legislature, but the political bubble rather, um, you know, no one's surprised by this issue. This isn't something that they were like, wow, I can't believe we're talking about this. They're like, we have wanted to talk about this for some time, but haven't really had an avenue. It's, it's something that is, yeah, I, I think a lot of the surprise was coming from men who didn't realize that this was as big of an issue as it actually is. Yeah, I'm guessing it was not a super surprise to women who've worked in the environment for, for several years. And I, I knew what you both were working on and I was really excited about it to see it. But then you dropped uh, the first story that you dropped, I didn't see coming. Um, it, and it was representative of what you went on to publish the next day. But would one of you please tell me what happened to the former mayor of, of Lansing who was contemplating running for office again? Yeah, so um, this is Emily. And I, I saw the there was some anonymous accounts um, of sexism against um, Ridge Monero and sexual harassment. Um, and actually one incident where he touched a, a woman allegedly. Um, and so, you know, I'd sort of seen these coming out um, in our local weekly actually. And it was one of those things where it seemed to be an open secret um, that a lot of women felt uncomfortable around him or that he had made a lot of women um, feel uncomfortable. But I wasn't really sure why, um, just because I don't cover city government um, and I don't typically have, uh, you know, a high level of interaction with him. The, the few events that I've seen him at or times that I've interviewed him have been more um, glancing. So I, I really didn't have a personal connection with him. I really didn't have a personal impression of him. Um, but I, I did think that, you know, why are so many women <laughs> creeped out by this guy <laughs> was sort of a lot of red flags for me. Um, so I started looking around. One of the people who um, I, I would say was integral to uh, how, how I framed my thinking for this series was Emily Devendorf. She's a, um, an activist and a political consultant um, who uh, her initial Facebook post um, about TJ sort of kicked off this conversation in Lansing. And so, um, and, you know, when I was talking to her, she had told me about her experience um, with Verge and I was able to talk to um, other women who had similar experiences. And, you know, one way that I think it's incredibly sad and also sort of representative of, of the problem is that, you know, the main woman I focused on um, in my story, a woman named uh, Liz Hart, you know, she experienced things that would make your skin crawl <laughs> just in terms of, I mean, I encourage you to read the story, but you know, he uh, touched her foot and told her that um, uh, he had a foot fetish, she, she said, or she said that, um, you know, when they would be 
alone in the office and she worked for him on his campaign um that he would just start talking about you know sexual fantasies or sexual preferences and um and ask her uh, you know about hers and she of course never really felt comfortable talking about that um you know he uh, there was sort of rumors around town that she was his mistress um which was not true um and sort of ended up like chasing her out of town, frankly, like the fact that she couldn't escape this. um, And and he's a really powerful figure here. So, um, but, you know, I think about that more broadly and actually, um, you know, she's found success in other cities. She's a a city planner. She helps cities be better, frankly, and function better. Um, And Lansing won't have that advantage and Lansing can't tap into her talent because, um, you know, of the treatment she received from, from Burge Bernero. And that's sort of representative of, women I've talked to more broadly. I mean, you know, even since publishing, I've heard from women who have left the state because, um, you know, they didn't like the sexual harassment in Michigan politics or who have gotten into different fields um, because they, um, you know, were so put off by that experience there. And so, you know, when I think about the, the 19 or 20 or 21, 22 year olds that are coming into the Michigan capital, I mean, they're full of potential and they shouldn't have to put on a suit of armor every day to succeed in this field. And I just think that as a society, we're, we're missing out on some really valuable contributions um, because of the sexual harassment problem. Well, when somebody does something inappropriate, but sometimes they do it under the cover of a crowd or they do it, you know, in a situation where they know that you, it would be embarrassing or difficult for you to stand up. But really what's happening, you know, in a very real way across the board is people are standing up. And that's what these stories are too. They're like turning the light on at a party and say, hey, <laughs> you don't touch me there, you know? And you make people notice and, and you put that, put the offenders on the spot. And I think that's what's really powerful here. So um, a couple of things I want to just touch on before we wrap up here, but one is, legislature sexual harassment policy real or apocryphal uh so they have one um and <laughs> actually I'm, <laughs> I'm following up uh this week uh there are plans to um make those a little bit more publicly available um i wrote uh, the story about um kind of about the perception of these policies um it, there's there's it's a it's pretty complicated um to begin with, because if something comes up with a lawmaker, because they are not hired by someone, they're elected to office by their constituents, um, there's not a ton of punishments that can come with an egregious violation. Um, They could uh, lose their committee assignments, they could um, lose their staff or, a couple of other a couple of other um, business office things could happen to them if it's determined that they are harassing or discriminating someone. But uh, to remove a lawmaker from office, they need to either be expelled by their peers or um, they need to be recalled by their constituents. And both of those scenarios are extremely rare. Um, we saw a situation in the legislature last year with former Senator Pete Lucido, um, who three women came forward publicly. He was investigated 
uh, the investigation found inappropriate behavior was likely happened and he lost one of his two committee chairmanships. He's continued to deny that that hasn't happened um, even you know, to as recently as a couple of weeks ago, he's uh, had an issue with that report. Um, but, but yeah, so, so that was kind of our last uh, big test of that policy. Um, and so the staff and a lot of people that I talked to in the course of this reporting um, have said that they don't necessarily feel protected by this policy. Um, they see that there's perhaps not a lot of recourse that's available to them. And they're also concerned that, you know, because it's a small bubble, they are concerned um, that perhaps uh, they're not going to be protected if they come forward or they're not, they're potentially going to face uh, retaliation. And, um, you know, the House and Senate Business Office do, are, are required by law to, you know, have those protections in place. And that is in the policies. Uh, but, but for a lot of people, um, the idea of filing a complaint is really confusing. It's scary. And there's not a lot of confidence that they would be able to, um, that they would be able to see a positive resolution, which is the whole point of having these policies in the first place is to address issues when they come up. But um, instead, as we've kind of both talked about, um, a lot of times the solution is to find another job. Right. So let's just wrap it up. But what, what is the reaction then um, to your series from last week? Largely positive um, in terms of people wanting to talk about this issue. Um, I, I think I told Lauren right before we published that like my nightmare is that this is one story and then, you know, nobody ever thinks about it again. <laughs> so um, I think we've avoided that fate. Um, Lauren and I have heard certainly from um, more women who um, have said, you know, wow, like what you describe aligns with my experience. Um, even women who are out of state now or who um, worked in the legislature, um, you know, decades ago, frankly, have said, wow, I really hoped that this had changed. Um, we've heard a lot of that. Um, and we've heard from people who are going to be discussing this um, in professional settings and using our article as sort of a, a jumping off mm -hmm. point um, to, to talk about this, which I'm incredibly um, humbled by. I think that's an important step. Um, I think we've we've both heard from uh, men who have sort of, um, you know, said that this opened their eyes to, to issues. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we're already starting to see a, a little bit of change. Lauren alluded to um, some reporting that she'll have next week. But um, I, I think that there is a little bit of a, a shift in how people are thinking about this issue um, because of our reporting, um, or at least I like to think that our reporting played a part in that. But mm -hmm. Lauren, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, I'm honestly thrilled uh, that so many people are paying attention uh, to this reporting. You never really know, especially when it's uh, legislature or policy issues, you never really know what's going to resonate with people. Um, and I, I really have been moved uh, by the sheer number of people who have commented or reached out or, you know, taken something from this reporting uh, because 
as, as we've said, it's something that we have noticed for a long time. You know, we've heard it from our sources and uh, to, to see this not only being, you know, not only being read widely, but also taken extremely seriously um, was, was really, um, was really powerful. Um, and, and I, it's the most you can ask for as a journalist, really. Did anyone tell you you were wrong or defend the status quo? It was so rare. Um, there were a couple of odds and ends or just, it, it wasn't, it was not the norm. Um, you know, there's always, there's always a couple of naysayers, I will say, but I, I didn't notice very many. Well, I'm going to take that as progress. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we always talk about in journalism, how uh, you're on solid ground if you're telling the truth. And this is just such a widely universal truth that resonated with so many people. Well, it was important. It was sobering, but sometimes you need that bucket of cold water in the face. And um, for, for what an entire you know, class of people, group of people are, are put through on a day-to-day -day basis just to do their jobs and represent and, and work, do the people's work. Um, it needed to be talked about. Thank you for starting that conversation. I know there's a lot more to come, but I want to thank you, uh, Warren Gibbons and Emily Lawler for joining us today on Behind the Headlines. Hey, thanks, thanks for having us. And thanks for being an organization that gives us the space to do stories like this. And there they go. A huge thanks to Emily and Lauren for the incredible work they continue to do for the state of Michigan. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share this podcast wherever you are listening to it right now. Until next week, he's John Heiner. I'm Eric Hulkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.